0: Hey everyone, this is Bev Marshall here and I've had the honor and privilege of being married to Drew Marshall for almost 20 years, 12 of the best years of my life. Have you ever noticed just how sensitive of a man he is?
1: I was crying with him when he was crying because... Hey, hold on, hold on. We were crying. We're men here. (laughs) He
0: may not know how to fix stuff around the house, but at least he knows women's fashion.
1: Is it the way women are dressing? I mean, I know I'm going to be labeled sexist by even suggesting this. We can wear whatever we want. Well, I got to tell you, there's a lot of skimpy looking stuff out there.
0: I know he thinks he's Dr. Phil and genuinely seems like he understands us women.
1: Women seem to be driven more by emotions than men do, and men tend to be a little bit more analytical and i'm not a sexist jerk so don't write me right. emails saying I, I hate women or something like that
0: don't worry ladies i've trained him well
1: driving turning your radio down and talking on the phone you must be a woman because a guy couldn't do all that
0: so if you're looking for sound professional guidance well there's always the guest he interviews tune in saturdays between one and five for the drew marshall show right here on joy 1250
1: You're listening to The Drew Marshall Show, Canada's most listened to spiritual talk-back program. Up next is uh, Deborah Norville, and of course many of you will know her as the anchor of Inside Edition. America's longest-running, top-rated syndicated news magazine, seen daily by billions around the universe. During her career, this uh, two-time Emmy Award winner has reported and anchored for NBC News, CBS News, MSNBC, as well as hosted a nationwide radio show for ABC Radio. Her uh, proactive and persuasive new book, folks. This is a killer book. Thank You Power, Making the Science... Of gratitude work for you. This book brings together for the first time ever behavioral and psychological studies which prove stuff that the faith community has known all the way along The giving thanks can make you happier and healthier. DNorval.com is the website, and this is the woman. You know, the first thing I got to ask you, Deborah, this is an important question for me. I got to know which Vicki Teal dress did you end up wearing to the uh, Emmys?
0: Well, America selected the one that um, I sort of prompted them to pick by telling them, and this one makes you instantly lose 10 pounds. So losing 10 pounds instantly, that's the one America went for. But but the polka dot was a close runner-up, I'll tell you what.
1: I I almost lost some sleep over this one.
0: Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, these are the issues that really keep folks awake, isn't it?
1: My goodness. Georgia Junior Miss, 1976. Junior Miss, I mentioned this to Kathy Lee Gifford a couple of weeks ago, and she said, yeah, it's not a beauty contest. This is, this is the real deal. This is, like, quality stuff.
0: Well, half the score was your judge's interview and your grade transcript. Um, and, you know, I could, I could talk to a table and have a conversation. I had good grades, so that part wasn't hard. Kathy Lee, however, had talent, so that made that part easy for her. <laughs> Debbie Normal had no talent. My talent in this thing it was so pathetic. I was a seamstress. Are you kidding? I me? sewing. No, people laugh at me. They think, "Oh, you're kidding." No, it was true. My my talent was sewing. And let me tell you, when Georgia comes in and has to perform after Utah, who has just done an aria from La <laughs> 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 let me tell you, the only talent points I got were pity points. That poor child, just to even stand out there with that pathetic talent, you got to give her a point that or is, two. Oh yeah.
1: Why do I have this image of Sandra Bullock uh, with the glasses and the you know the yes. Big-
0: Yes, exactly. If I could have been even able to do that, That'd I would be have better. done, you know, glass symphony or whatever yeah, glass that sim- that's
1: better than sewing let me tell you
0: one year I was a judge at Miss America yeah, and yeah. They, they make you go from point A to point B in those little rickshaw things they have down in Atlantic City <laughs> and the one I was with was a former Miss America who they brought back as a judge and I'm making conversation I said what was your talent she said sewing I said get no. out of here no your talent was sewing she said absolutely I said I explained you that that had been mine I said nobody saw you coming did they you were like you were such a dark horse candidate no one in a million years thought you were going to win she said you you have no idea how women were shocked on stage when they called her name out.
1: That's funny. Yeah,
0: she was the one who married Jim Lang for the dating game, so she was quite a bit Oh, right,
1: right, right. Yeah. Um, you interviewed a president at 19 years old?
0: Actually, yes, that's true. But to be completely honest about it, I was, um, I was working at the CBS station in Atlanta, and I'd actually... I was on the air as a reporter while I was still in college. Um, But truth be told, Jimmy Carter actually walked up to the microphone. I happened to be the one holding it, but he had liked the people at that station because they'd covered him, I guess, favorably when he had been governor of Georgia. So he walked up to the microphone. I happened to be holding it. But dang it, that's the President of the United States. So I asked him whatever the news of the day question was, and he's still standing there and thinking, oh, my God, I have to talk to the President. So I said... Well, you know, Mr. President, how was it to be back home in Georgia? And he says, it was just great. And then he went on into the news, into the uh, restaurant where he was going to be having lunch that day. And I go back to the camera and I say, and that's the scene here live at the such and such back to you. And I honestly think I'm about to pee on myself. I'm so excited. (laughs) (laughs) And it's about to get better. All I'm thinking is, I'm going to have an interview with the President of the United States on my demo reel. I will get a job somewhere. There is no question Cha-ching. about that now. <laughs> ka-ching, ching I will get a job. This is what I'm thinking. Then Sam Donaldson comes walking up to me. And, you know, he was covering the president for the ABC, um, you know, national news program. And Sam Donaldson walks up, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, now Sam Donaldson is talking to me. And he's about 12 feet tall, as far as I can remember. And I look up at him, and he looks down at me, and he says, what did the president say, little girl? And I look at him. And did you ever see Reese Witherspoon in Sweet Home, Alabama? Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Okay. Think Reese Witherspoon, as I replied. Mr. President said he was happy to be home. Oh, no. <laughs> and Donaldson looked at me like he'd just bitten into a lemon. And his face got all squirreled up, and he kind of lumped and thought, God, what an idiot that girl is. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, First the president, then Sam Donaldson. Shoot me now, and you'll know I died happy.
1: That's classic. Absolutely classic. My
0: entree into the big world of TV. Ah,
1: Thank you for that. (laughs) You've given me uh, much pleasure today just chuckling at that stuff. At 28 years old, you were named anchor of NBC News at Sunrise. Yeah. Am I, do I get my facts straight here? You're very
0: good. Now, listen, I don't know le- where you get your info,
1: but you're good. Well, let me check something out here. Let's, if this Joe works. Whitty
0: reports a cold snap will begin the weekend up north, and Alan Abelson reports on the confusion caused by oh rumors gosh, about the Saudis' pricing of oil. I'm Deborah Norville, and this is NBC News at Sunrise. Ready
1: for the music? Isn't that special? I'll tell you what. You had. I have just looked at all the different hairstyles you've had over the years.
0: Crypto, that's great. I don't have that. Is that online? <laughs> you have to email me. and Tell me where. That's extremely cool.
1: Yeah, I was impressed with the uh, the hairstyle in this one. There was another one you had a kind of a mushroom this thing radio, going.
0: But people can't see the hairstyle.
1: I know, I know. But what I'm trying to get across here is that uh, I'm surprised you didn't get best haircut award with, in Playboy magazine. You got best newscaster lips.
0: Best lips in broadcasting.
1: In 1987? That's quite an this award. This a
0: Christian station. you got a girl who not only had the best list in broadcasting, as decided by Playboy magazine, <laughs> I spent a week in jail for Inside Edition. Oh. Your program must really be flipping. Oh, yeah.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, and the other thing I can... Now, this is total kudos to you right now. Folks, this woman had the ride of her life in an F-16, and she did not pull out the bag.
0: Nope, I did not. You must the have it. Very a... famous people did.
1: Oh, I'm telling you, I've seen more more than my fair share of people absolutely lose it. I mean cookies all over the place in the F sixteen, but you, you held it in, girl.
0: Well here's the thing, they no I didn't I never felt the need to let it out to be honest with oh. you. It was just awesome. I pulled nine point eight G's. You it was kidding? unbelievable. We did a a, a reverse Double m roll or something like that. Yeah. Um, anybody who knows about flying would know that that's a way cool maneuver. And um, <laughs> way cool? It was just a way cool <laughs> maneuver. I mean, at one point, we're flying upside down, and the only thing that's keeping me from banging my head on the roof, because we're upside down, is the seat belt. So I'm just sort of suspended upside down, midair, hanging by my feet. It was just great. You know, I've been so fortunate. I have had a career and, you know, knock on wood, it'll continue even another year or two if I'm lucky. But I've had a career that, you know, for a kid who's from a little town in Georgia hmm. has just allowed me the opportunity and privilege to see so many things and share so many things with the folks who've watched the various shows I've worked on and and um and you know it's 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 a bit of a memory lane for me for you to bring some of these things up, but it's it's been a really wonderful ride.
1: I want you to tell me which one stood out the most for you. David Letterman, Howard Stern, Tony Danza, John Stewart, Martin Short, or Rosie O'Donnell? Have you, not, have you not been on all their shows?
0: I've done all their shows. Yeah, that's yeah. what I mean.
1: Which one stood out for you, being on their shows?
0: Well, I'll tell you which one stood out for me was... Um, well, I think when you're on Johnny Carson, you just, I don't know if you mentioned Carson or not, but when you're on The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, you just you just go, whoa, this is extremely cool.
1: Okay, you've just um, become my new hero.
0: What's that?
1: Well, you're on Johnny Carson. He was, the, yeah. hes he's the one.
0: That just tells you how old I am, that's all.
1: Man. <laughs> but, <laughs> but
0: I'll tell you what, the, the Howard Stern one stands out only because I was so uncomfortable. My company made me go beyond. They actually wanted to do a production deal with uh, Mr. Stern. This was when he was considering getting into television, and they really wanted to get into business with him. And I was the sacrificial lamb. And I truly did not want to go on that show. I mean, what he talks about is just not anything to do with what, you know, I think is proper conversation at any hour of the day. <laughs> and they made me do it and they made me go on with this big basket of gifts because it was his birthday or something like that and I was supposedly a surprise guest and all of a sudden you know I, I, I go I say the names of the bosses who wanted to hear their name on the radio and I'm sitting there, and, and Stern says, So, Deborah, and I'm thinking I'm a surprise guest. And he says, Deborah, I can't believe you're here. I thought you hated me. I said, Well, why would you think that, Howard? And he says, Well, it says right here, if the radio has Howard Stern's show on, I immediately turn it off. And I'm thinking, So oh, much for surprise guest. Oh, yeah. He's, he's yeah. got notes. And I said, <laughs> Howard, Your show is on when I'm taking my children to school. If I get in the taxi and your show is on, I do not want my kids to hear this stuff. I said, you have three little girls. Do you let them listen to your show? To which he responded, absolutely not. I said, I rest my case. Bing, bing, bing. Bing, bing, bing. And then he just like, phew, he didn't ask me about size or any of the things that he would typically ask a woman about.
1: (laughs) Nor will I. Let me just clear that up right now. I'm not going to go there. Okay?
0: God bless you. Thank you very much.
1: Deborah, what story do you remember covering that just messed you up? I mean, you found you were ambushed by your emotions.
0: That's a really good question. Um, I find that it happens to me more in the studio, when we're rolling in a piece, and I'm just I'm just an emotional basket case. And lately, you know, we've done a number of stories of American servicemen who've come back from the war in Iraq and surprising their children by showing up in class or, you know, being the lunchroom worker as they're serving their kid lunch, and all of a sudden their kid goes, "Daddy!" And and you know, <laughs> there's just not a dry eye around. Or the stories about children who've been harmed. I. I, I, I used to report pretty extensively when I was a local reporter before I was a mom on child sexual, sexual abuse and, and kidnappings and and you know did some stuff even before the Missing and Murdered Childrens Act in America was passed and so I felt like the work I was doing was really laudatory because it helped draw attention to something that America hadn't really focused too much on but I don't think I could do those stories now.
1: I'm thinking about the Perfect Family. Do you remember that episode of Connecticut? Was it? Do you oh. Remember that?
0: Oh, it's just awful. Yes, this was the family in Cheshire, Connecticut. Uh, the father was a prominent physician. The mother was a homemaker. They had two lovely girls, and they left their door unlocked. And we all like to think that we live in a community that's safe and nobody locks their doors. I just, you know what, it, it, it doesn't have to be someone from your community. Uh, the crazies can come in from far away and un- open your door and, and walk right in. So I've always been religious about locking the doors, but after that story happened, because it was just this bucolic part of Connecticut, um, country roads, beautiful homes, you know, a lot of space in between, and um, while the front door had been unlocked, uh, I've since found out through, you know, just, it wasn't widely reported at the time, but since, it was actually a basement window that the perpetrators came in on, so... I don't care how safe the place is that you live. You lock the doors. Um, You you think of a plan. If, gosh forbid, something were to happen and you found yourself in one of these horrific situations, what would I do to try to get out of it? I'm a big believer if you wash the car, you can be sure that it's going to rain. So if you have a plan, you can be sure you won't need it.
1: We are on the phone with Deborah Norville. I want to talk about your family and your spiritual life and this book. There's so much here, but got to keep on moving on. You know, I'd love to see that video, going to keep on moving. Is that still out there somewhere?
0: Yeah, well, I don't think it's out there anywhere because uh, we put it on Inside Edition. It was really a story that we had done to try to show the folks that watch our program, who obviously listen to the, you know, the music and buy records and all that stuff, that Yeah, these guys are probably pretty talented, the stars whose albums you're buying and CDs you're buying and songs you're downloading, but the real talent actually might be the guy in the engineering suite. We had actually heard some raw tape of Madonna or Whitney Houston or somebody like that, big superstar, and this was just straight vocals, no music, no mixing, no sweetening, just raw voice on tape, and it was ordinary. And I remember commenting on that, and a friend of mine is um, pretty tied into the record world. He said, well, Deb, I can show you how they make them sound good. I said, forget about showing me. Let's show the people. And um, the thing about doing this story... As you know, working in the broadcasting business, all songs are copyrighted, and if you want to replay a song, you have to pay a rights fee. And your station, I'm sure, pays you know all yes. the fees on a regular basis to ASCAP and BMI. We don't do that at Inside Edition. It's one of the ways we we save our money is we we don't pay unless you know it's a specific song that we need to use, and then we pay for that individual song. So it's a lot cheaper for us to do that. Consequently, we can't go just as a matter of course and illustrate a song with. You know Hey Jude Or Bridge Over Trouble Water sure, Or whatever sure. You yeah. might want to do So they wanted me To sing a song But we were too cheap To go and pay For me to sing Somebody else's song <laughs> So they said Okay Deb You'll have to write it first I'm like What? Are you kidding me? I don't know how to write a song And and they said Oh I'm sure You're smart You'll figure it out These are my producers So we get with this guy called Junior Vasquez, who's an amazing record producer, and he had already done the music, and he plays his music, and he says, tell me what this says to you. And I'm like, it's power, it's moving, you're winning, it's, it's progressing, you're going forward. It was just this very uplifting kind of, you know, get out of your chair and get going song. So he's writing all these adjectives down, and then he hands me the piece of paper. He says, go write some lyrics that say all this. And that was Songwriting 101. Nice. Yeah, right. I'm thinking... I, I will die. This is, like telling, this is like telling someone who has an anvil around their ankle to go swim. <laughs> this is not going to happen. So, anyway, I, I tried, and it was, it was the hardest thing I'd ever done. And I actually, if you go onto my website, I actually reprinted an article I put in Oprah's magazine where I talked about how much I wanted to throw in the towel, but I was kind of already stuck. And, dang it, I'm not going not to not do this. I'll figure out a way. And it was one of the hardest things I'd done professionally in a really long time. But the sense of, of completion and the sense of achievement when I finished writing that song, which actually wasn't half bad, was was so invigorating that it taught me, you know, having probably I think just turned 40, that you know what, you may not be too old to learn some new tricks. And I thought that there was kind of a story in that for all the rest of us. No matter what your age, no matter how many achievements you may have had or how much you know you think you've accomplished in your life, and you think, well, that's it. There's really nothing else for me to do. I'm too old. To me the answer was, no you're not. You just, you just may not be patient enough. You may be too impatient. But age is certainly not an impediment. So just get out there and give it a try. If it's direct, it's direct. If it's not, then that's good too.
1: Very well said. You've, uh, you've got some great words of wisdom. Deborah Norville, broadcast journalist extraordinaire. Everybody knows you from Inside Edition. But they also know you from all the big kerfuffle in the NBC, and you know, whatever. I mean, I don't understand. The executives had some problem with you breastfeeding in people's Magazine. I mean, was that just spin during all that nonsense that you, you no, had no, to endure? No,
0: adhere? no, the, 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 the stake had already been driven in my heart long before I had my first child. I replaced Jane Pauley, who had been on the Today Show for 13 years. And um, I think one of the morals of the story is it's never easy to replace a legend. You want to be the replacement's replacement, because trust me, there will be one. Um, and within weeks of me coming on the show as a news reader, and this goes back 16 years, so we don't really have spent a lot of time talking about no. ancient history. But the, the, the gist of it was the press spun a story that somehow I had maneuvered Jane's ouster um, and that the reason the bosses had put me in the job was that I was younger and blonder than Jane. The fact was, Jane had gone to them three months before I came on the show and said, yeah, I've been doing this a long time, guys. I'd like to do something else. Can we be, you know, thinking about a reassignment? But that was never something that was publicly stated.
1: Were you Um, gagged?
0: Absolutely. 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 In fact, I was told straight out, "Let us handle this, Deborah. We're experts in this sort of thing." When I told them all these, you know, they would never let me do your radio show, for instance. All these media guys were, you know, calling me and wanting to do interviews. Donahue wanted me. I mean, they all want to be on their TV show. And uh, NBC said, "No, no, 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 no. You, you are not allowed to comment." And I thought about just ignoring them and talking anyway. And my agent said, "If you do that, they will rip your contract up, and and that will be a breach of contract because that's a direct violation." of an order you had been given so I really was between a rock and a hard place there was no shot of me saying anything without you know losing an, an awful lot of money and I needed a job I you know I'm not one of these independently wealthy people I work I like what I do but I work for the paycheck sure so um so end of the day um the stories just kept getting worse and worse and their way of handling it was to just ignore it so fast forward I had a baby and um, the press had reported would gotten pregnant to save my job, which, of course, is the reason we all have children, is for employment. Yes,
1: um, of course. Security. Se- security, yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: Um, because it's so easy to work when you have children at oh. home. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, so I had my baby, and People Magazine called. And actually, there, there was one article I did talk to. Guidepost Magazine had called me and said, we really want to do a story about how you're getting through this. And I was still on the job at that point. And I thought, you know, I'm under this gag order, but then I thought, what are the chances that the bosses are going to see this, you know, ecumenical uh, religious magazine? So I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll talk to you guys at Guidepost. And it was a cover story, and I was wearing an orange dress. I mean, if you saw this magazine, you could not have missed me. It was about as bright as the thing as you could find. And as I suspected, absolutely no one at the network read Guidepost. and far as I could tell I had any spiritual side to them either <laughs> and I never heard a word about the story but then people called and they said can we do this story I said yeah come on over and ask what the experts thought and it was a beautiful story but there was a photo in there of me breastfeeding I have evening dresses that show more skin than this and funnily enough six weeks later Chrissy Everett had had her baby And they came and did a similar story at her home. And she was nursing her child. Not a word was said. So clearly, somewhere the target thing was on my head. For a week, they yacked about me on the radio. Deborah Norville, breastfeeding in public. The La Leche League called. They wanted me to be their national spokesperson. I thought the whole thing was a little goofy. And I laughed about it. But what was funny, Drew, was one of the bosses at NBC, who I later found out who it was. It was a woman was quoted in one of the papers as saying of this article, which just talked about what it was like to be a new mom and our hopes and dreams for a kid, you know, our little baby. And and the article quoted this lady as saying, this will be negative for Deborah and cast her in that motherhood role. And I thought, what? Being a mom is a career negative? You know, even I could read what that was really saying, which was get out. So that's when I resigned my job, and, and I went through a big depression, and... I didn't think I'd ever work in the business again. Didn't think I'd ever leave the house again, to be honest with you, because I really went pretty far down. But I got through it and got my career back on track. And, you know, now I've got this new book about the power of gratitude. And as you said in the introduction, people of faith so get this. But I tried to write this book in a way that even the most confirmed agnostic will be intrigued by the science, be intrigued by what's been proved. To be some of the positive results of counting your blessings. And maybe be drawn to it from an intellectual curiosity rather than a a spiritual need.
1: Well, recently I guess you were asked about the role gratitude played in your life. And and this is a quote from you. I think about it on an hourly basis, really, because I'm constantly finding things to be grateful for. Mm -hmm. It's not that pay-it-forward garbage that you hear about. It's not monumental hallelujah, praise the Lord stuff. For me, it's just a constant, steady cadence. It's a metronome to my life. Can you pull yeah, that apart? I said
0: that. That's pretty good, wasn't
1: it? Yeah, it was. good.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's true. It really is. I'm not one of these people who have to set aside a period of time um, to, to to count my blessings or feel, feel a sense of gratitude about you know what what I perceive to be is the, the benefits in my life. In the same way, I don't you know have it's you know it's eight ten a.m. and and this is my prayer time. God and I converse all day long. So, um, you know, my, my relationship with God is, is very much like my relationship with, um, you know, my gratitude. It's, it's an ongoing constant, and there is no real stop and start to it. Uh, it may be a little louder at some moments than others, but I think it's always, it's always there. It's always present.
1: Your spiritual life is, is quite fascinating. I mean, you were raised Methodist, baptized Baptist, and today I think you're like an, an Episcopal Sunday school teacher.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm actually not teaching Sunday school right now, but um, but I have been an Episcopal teacher, and and um, we, you know, when you go down, go up down in the South, it's it's pretty much Protestant, and I, truly, when I was a little kid, when they talked about religious divisions, I thought they meant Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian. I didn't know they meant like you know Protestant Catholic, Jewish, Muslim. That just was not part of the, the community that I grew up in. And I can remember going to um to the club after Sunday church, and you could always tell which preacher finished up first because people you knew what church I belonged to and you would know okay well all the Presbyterians are here now and, oh, and the Baptists never got white meat because their preacher was so darn violent that you know, by the time they got there there was nothing but chicken legs and flies left so, I mean, that right there was just reason enough to be glad you weren't a Baptist, as far as I was concerned, you know, about age yeah. seven.
1: Yeah, but you you <laughs> did. You bought into the Baptist thing? Wasn't it a, a boyfriend that sucked you into the Baptist scene?
0: Well, no one not he sucked me in. Come on. He was, um, he was a Baptist. Well, I, would, I attended a, a Bible study, uh, just a, a Christian Bible study when I was in high school. And there were kids that went to all churches, and it was a Youth for Christ-led um, ministry that we actually met in a carpet showroom. So we would loll around on the carpet sample uh, waterfalls. It was really quite comfortable you know, and underline our Bibles and listen to some tapes and listen to what the preacher was saying and stuff like that.
1: Was this at your but dad's did, work?
0: No, in my hometown, everybody worked in the carpet business. It was another friend's dad's oh, okay. um, little right. place. But, hey. Yeah, everybody was in the carpet business. But, um, yeah, no, I did start going to church with my um, uh, the boy I was dating in high school, and he and his family attended a Baptist church, and I just felt a very strong call. I'd gone to a Billy Graham crusade and all that stuff, and I just felt a very strong call to go up to the front of the church and be very public Um which is kind of a gutsy thing to do when you're 15, because when you're 15, the last thing you want in any way, shape, or form is for anybody to notice you. You really just want to fall into the woodwork when you're 15 years old, because that's just such a tough period for a kid. But but I did, and, you know, continued going to the Methodist Church, but that was just important for me to sort of walk out there and say, yep, I'm a Christian, Christ has saved me, you know, um, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then when I got out of college, I actually joined a Baptist church, and I really felt... Even though I'd been christened as a little kid, I felt like you know I want to do this. Um, it's not that I felt you know the Bible was commanding me that I you know I read the scripture in a new way. I just felt like you know I just you know we're all born again in Christ. and I just felt like I I want to do this. And you know I didn't invite my family or anything like that. I just you know went to the preacher and I said the next time you do a baptism, I think I'd like to do it. I've been christened and you know been a member of the church all my life, but this is something that's important to me and. He was happy to oblige and so I got baptized. Now fast forward several maybe seven years later. I'm working at NBC, I'm doing Sunrise, the early early news show on the NBC network, and I got a letter from um, someone in Georgia. It was an address I didn't recognize and it had a number instead of a name, which means it came from a prisoner. Hmm. and it was the minister who had baptized me. Oh wow. who is now? in the Georgia Penitentiary. And I'm reading this letter, which is all written by hand, it's quite a few pages long, and he explains it basically after he you know, been at the church where I was, he got sent to a church in middle Georgia, and um, I believe he first helped himself to some of the deacon's wives, and then helped himself to the offering plate, and if maybe he hadn't had the situation with the wives, it would have gone easier with him on the offering plate, but yeah. they, they dropped a dime on him, he ended up getting convicted, and was doing time in prison. Man. And I thought, oh, my Lord, this is just terrible. And, you know, I, I felt awful for him and his family because he was a lovely man. You know, obviously he just, you know, got me astray. But what I did, I called my grandmother, who was such a wonderful Christian. She's passed on now, but she was such a wonderful Christian. She was one of those when, you know, the people would come and knock on the doors to, to witness to their church. She'd bring them over to, whatever, to, to her side. She was a Lutheran, and she'd bring them over. And I called up my grandma, and I said, Grandma, here's the problem. I said, da, da 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 now the preacher that baptized me is in, in jail. Do I need to worry? And she said, as long as he was right with the Lord when he baptized you, you're fine. <laughs> <laughs> I said, okay, Grandma. <laughs> I figure you know this better than anybody. So I put, I put my fears to rest.
1: Deborah Norville joining us. Uh, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's a killer verse for you and has yeah. been for a lot of your life. I mean, what what parts of your life have you had to really lean on that verse the most?
0: Oh, my goodness. Um, well, it's funny. It's always resonated with me, but I think I sort of adopted it as, you know, the, the verse that I would hold closest to my heart when my mother passed away. I had just had my 20th birthday. and mom died from complications of being bedridden with rheumatoid arthritis. And it was quite unexpected. And um, I remember the preacher had come over, and he, you know, it was it was just, my parents were divorced. It was just my four sisters and me. And he said, may I borrow your mother's Bible? And he had taken mom's Bible and I guess had been flipping through it to see some of the things that she had underlined. And that was the verse that he specifically uh, referred to during her funeral eulogy. And and because my mother had health problems for quite a long time, I I realized that it must have been a real source of sustenance for her. And so it was when I was 20 that it, it became kind of my personal motto. And and you know, I've had the very public tough times, such as you know, my career going south on me and the entire country. And we all got the Today Show up in Canada too, so you know, everybody everybody knew oh, yeah. that Deborah normal was you know, not having a good day or week or month or year. Yeah. And and uh, my faith really has has been there, and, and you know, God has been there, and I've been very fortunate that I've. Um, my marriage is, is solid. It'll be 20 years in December. I have three, you know, healthy kids and, um and my career is back on track. But that doesn't mean that, you know, when you look at that kid and you truly are sincere when you say, I brought you into this world and I can't take you out. Um,
1: <laughs> thanks, thanks, Bill Cosby.
0: I love him for that and he's so right. And then Al Rokers is, don't make me stop this car. <laughs> and I have borrowed that one too. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, parenting is a challenge. Yeah. And uh, you just, you know, patience is, is maybe a virtue, but it's not necessarily high up on my list of virtues. And and so I'm often asking for that.
1: Well, you've got children between 10 and 17. I think Nikki, Kyle, mm-hmm. Michaela. Very good. And Carl, uh, if I understand things right. He's a Swedish exporter, importer.
0: Uh, it used to be a million years ago. Yeah, he's in the asset management business now. But he is. He's from Stockholm. And it's funny, the way we met, I had gone to... Sweden quite a few years ago to see where my roots were. My mother's um, family is all Swedish, so I had gone to kind of see, you know, the old sod deal, and I didn't meet Carl there, but I met some friends of his, very, very dear friends of his, who saw him the next day, and there's this old legend in this wives' tale in Sweden that if on Midsummer Eve a girl picks, a single girl picks seven different wildflowers and sleeps with them under her pillow, that that night she will dream of her future husband. Well, we didn't put the flowers under our pillow, but we picked flowers and we did the whole midsummer, you know, routine with the pole and the wreaths and and you know the outdoor and 24 hours of sunlight. Just had a great time. Um, and the next day, the man who would be my future husband was told about me by this couple. And about six weeks later, he was in Chicago where I was uh, working as a reporter at the time and called me and looked me up. And here we are.
1: Wow, 20 yeah. years. That's a record in your industry, isn't that sad?
0: Well, it, it's sad that, that it is true. Um, a lot of people in the broadcasting business um, are, are not on the first spouse. They're, they're, they may be married, but it ain't the one they started out with. Yeah. And that's really unfortunate. And I suppose it's because, I mean, you know, the, the when the little red light goes on, you have to be in front of the microphone. And it doesn't matter that... You know, your kid has this or your wife needs that or whatever. You know, the, the demands, there's that old expression, time and tide wait for no man. Well, it's the time part of broadcasting that doesn't wait for anything. And when you're a newscaster or a news correspondent, you're jumping on planes all the time. And that's really why I left the network. When I you know, got back into television after the Today Show, I was a correspondent at CBS and was the kind who had to get the extra pages in the passport because it was traveling so much. And finally, I just, you know, this is stupid. I love it. I, you know, another Emmy for the shelf. Woohoo! Yay me! But yeah, I had a little boy who was calling me in tears on the phone. I had a husband who was like, "Okay, let's see, my wife is what time zone? No, I can't call her. It's too early." Mm. Um, that's that's no way to to I think care for a marriage um, and sustain a child or children if you have more than one. So I just made the the choice that I was gonna when I you know had a contract opening, I was gonna try to find a job where I could still stay in the national scene but maybe be a little more rooted. Because even if I've been at the network, um, let's say I've gotten back into morning television, uh, I was you know, on Good Morning America the other day and was talking to Chris Cuomo, and he's relatively new at the job and loves what he's doing, but he said, you know, when, when they need me to anchor the show from the field, I just grab the bag and get on the plane, and I may or may not have a chance to kiss my kids and my wife goodbye. That's hard on a family.
1: What happened to From Her Home to Yours? What happened to that?
0: Oh, uh, that was a radio show I did.
1: Yeah, but it was only a year.
0: Yeah, Mike, I got back in TV.
1: But it wasn't that a perfect fit for you with the kids and the home life and, you know, just kind of settling in it, and doing a bit of it everything? It
0: was great. No, it was great. And I loved doing the radio show. And I've actually, every contract opportunity since then, I've always kept the radio option open, sometimes at my own detriment because... You know, you give up a little bucks in order to keep certain options open. Hmm. But I always felt like you know, radio was just one of these places where you really got into topics and your listeners really got into topics. And I, I, I you know, I just love that so much. But I also, I didn't leave television on my terms. Um, television told me to go away, and I'm one of these people. I will go. I will go when I decide. And you know, I'm a stubborn enough old goat that I thought, you know what, I'm going to get back in there. And I'm going to show those people that they were wrong. And and when I do leave television, and I'll leave at some point, it'll be when Deborah Norville decides, not when some nitwit network network executive.
1: <laughs> how do you America. how do you really feel about this?
0: Yeah, Right, exactly.
1: <laughs> hey, does this? Can you, <laughs> but
0: you know what? Those same people at the network—they know they were nitwits.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly, Deborah. How do you teach your kids to be grateful? I mean, especially as they get into those teen years, and you just yeah. want to you just want to whap them upside the head because they just seem to be so narcissistic, you know?
0: Well, I think I think for me. Um, I think, and I've actually had to do this with one of my kids, uh, one of the kids didn't think that school was any fun, and nothing good ever happened there, and I'm one of these believers, and what I talk about in, in my book, Thank You, Power, is it really does start with coming up with three positive things that happened during the day that were positive for you. Now, you might look at my list and go, that is baloney, but hey, baby, it works for me, so that's all really all that matters, <laughs> but my son was saying, oh, yeah, there's nothing that works, it's, you know, my life, you know, the, the school stinks. And it'd be the only good things that ever happened happened at home. So I had to be a little more proactive. So as we're tucking in for bed, I said, okay, did you sit next to anybody at lunch? Yeah. Who would you ne- sit next to? So-and-so. Well, what would you all talk about? We talked about such-and-such and such-and-such. And such. Well, was it fun? Yeah, it was good. Well, that's one nice thing that happened. A yeah, nice conversation with so-and-so. Do you have any dessert today? Because some days they don't. He said, yeah, today was dessert day. It was great. What would you have? Oh, these amazing brownies with chocolate frosting. Were they good? Mom, they were up. Absolutely fabulous. Well, there's a second thing. You had good dessert for a change. That's two things that happened good today at school. Did the teacher call on you? Yeah. Did you have the answer right? Yeah. How would that make you feel? I said, I felt pretty good. I said, well, there's three things. Isn't that interesting? Three things good that happened at a day that really wasn't good at all. And we did that on a regular basis. And what happened was not only did school stop being, in his mind, a place that was uh, not so fabulous, um, where nothing good ever happened, but he actually looked forward to going to school because he was now conscious of the fact that school is actually a pretty okay place. You you may not like the teacher, but there's enough other good stuff that happens that you know what, it's okay to be there. And the unexpected side benefit that I never saw coming was the grades went up. Wow. And then thank you, Powell, I talk about how that could be. Because this this is a book that has the science that proves why you feel better, why you're more active, why you're more pro-social, you're more willing to do things for other people. Um, this is what you know. the scientific explanation of that is, as, as reported in some of the most prestigious academic journals out there. The reason my kid thinking that school's a good place and nice things happen there could actually do better in his schoolwork is when you're happy, you're in what the scientists call positive affect. And the dopamine receptors in your cerebral frontal cortex, your forehead, are activated. That's where reasoning and logic happens. That's where, if you're going to get the right answer on the test, it's because you were quite active in that part of your brain, and you made the associations, and you made the connections, and you were able to retrieve the data that you had back in there, that knowledge that might have otherwise been irretrievable because you just weren't feeling good enough to, to dig it out of the memory banks. And, and that's what's sprinkled throughout the book is... Stories of people whose lives have been positively impacted by gratitude. And then the scientific explanation of how such a thing is possible. Because look, as a reporter, I am I am supposed to be skeptical. I happen to come by it by nature. First bumper sticker I ever bought at a journalism convention said, "If your mother says she loves you, check it out." <laughs> you know? I was like, "Okay, fine. Where's the proof?"
1: You are twisted, and, aren't you?
0: No, you know what? But it's great to be twisted in that way. If you work in the information business, yeah. somebody will bring me a script and I'll say, "Where's the fact? What's your source? Where'd you get that?" That's not what I'm familiar with. Um, prove it. So that's what this book is. This book is. To the person who would say, "Yeah, prove it." Okay, look at the research footnote on um, page 172. There you go. There's your proof.
1: So is that a good way to maybe uh, take this book and separate it from all the the, the power of positive thinking, oh, Anthony Robbins kind of uh, stuff?
0: Absolutely. You know, and kudos to Anthony Robbins. In fact, I'm blessed that he actually was kind enough to offer his endorsement of my book um, because Tony realizes that for some people. Positive thinking just ain't enough. Um, and, and frankly, I'm one of them. I've got a really strong mind, and I had positively thought for years that I could lose 10 pounds. Well, if I just sit here and positively think, nothing's going to happen. But if I act, I can actually lose the weight because that's – action is what creates change in your life. Sitting and thinking is a passive activity. somebody never made any positive change in any situation. So the secret says if you send out a positive vibe, positive things will come to you. Does that mean my friend with cancer? Has cancer because she's had on a negative five? Of course not. So, thank you, power, and the research and the proof that I have in this book is an active way for you to create the domino process that will result in the positive. Um, side effects occurring in your life.
1: Okay, we gotta be, there's got to be a faith connection here somewhere, because if you're going to be thankful, usually that goes towards something. I mean, just being thankful, I guess, is, is a positive enough thing in and Absolutely. of itself.
0: Yeah, well, it can be, but see, here's the thing. You, um, As a Christian, I'm thankful to God for everything, but you don't necessarily, with every... When you're driving down the highway and... Um, you know, sometimes there'll be a stretch of road, and it just—it's like the magic happens. You hit every green light just as you get up to that next intersection. The light goes green, and you'll go for like a mile before you have to stop. And that's always just really cool. Do you really thank God for that? No. No. No, of course. But hold on. But well, well, I,
1: there's a lot of people out there that pray for parking spots, and thank God no, that the light what? went that's green.
0: Say, and if and and you know if 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 God needs to help you with your parking needs, then then that's where you need God to intervene. I, I like to I like to think that God really doesn't need to waste his time on my <laughs> parking situation. And I'll if I have to walk a little bit, that's okay with me. But you know, it's, I, it's far be it from me to say when anyone should be thankful to god that that is that is between you and god but what i'm saying is that and this is the definition of gratitude gratitude is the acknowledgement of a blessing received for which you might not have necessarily earned it you might not necessarily been worthy you may not have necessarily done anything to to uh... to merit it but it's there for instance as I sit here in my house, I can look out the window, and I see that, you know, it's a beautiful day here in New York, and the sun is shining, and the trees are still green, and yeah. we painted the fence this summer. And as I look here, I see this beautifully crisp white fence against the white trimmed bushes, and and it just makes me feel good. I look, I'm happy to look out there and see... And be grateful for the hard work of my son who had the, the paintbrush and me with the clippers and the men who, who we had the driveway resurfaced. And I'm just I'm grateful for all of those efforts coming together because as I sit here and talk to you on the radio, I'm also seeing something that lifts me up. And I'm also my, my gratitude is also directed. And what I know is that looking out the window and seeing this, this very pretty spot in my yard makes me feel good. And I'm uplifted by that.
1: How much of this, Deborah, is, is motivated by the fact that you're gonna be fifty next summer? You know, do you not think we as we get older we we tend to be getting into not the thankful a bit stuff? For me. Really?
0: No. No, really not. Not a bit for me. i no, I think I think for me I've always been a person who has found things for which to be grateful. And I think my mother's illness that I referred to earlier was a catalyst in that. If my mom wasn't like the other mom, she didn't play golf, she couldn't play tennis, half the time she couldn't even pick me up from school. So if I would come out of school and my mom's car would be there, I would be incredibly grateful. I was like, yay, mom is here. That's super. Because if mom's car was there, that meant she was feeling well enough to, you know, get her makeup on and get behind the wheel of the car and drive to town. And those days didn't always happen. So I have been someone who has always found ways to be grateful. What I didn't know, and that's what was such a you know a, an eye-opener for me in doing the research for this book, was what I didn't know was that my innate ability or desire or need to find things for which I was grateful was actually making me a stronger person in so many other ways.
1: A final turn in this conversation. We've got to wrap it up because you have a life, and and, uh, and I'm just so thankful for the amount of time you've given us. Uh, Deborah, thank you very, very much. You're
0: very welcome.
1: But what's, what's sticking in my head on this whole issue is I mean, you're a star. You're a celeb. You're successful. You married the, you know, the, the successful guy. You got the three kids, the picket fence. I don't know, whatever the deal is. Your yeah, life, not- your life doesn't suck. What about for those people who are just in the toilet? Life is just absolutely horrible. They've lost a child, or they they found, they've got cancer themselves. They're facing a death sentence. Well, you
0: sentence know, it's so funny you say that. I've got an email right here that someone sent to me, and the the web, thank you power dot net. You can go to dnorville.com dot all goes to the same place. But thank you, Pal- This is the website I've done up for the book. And I'm going to be uploading a lot of these emails that I'm receiving from people. And this man says, I watched an interview with you about your new book. I haven't read the book and don't plan to. But from the interview, I do have one question. What do you do when you don't have any positive memories to reflect on? What do you do when you've never succeeded at anything? Where are these positive events supposed to come from? I've seen the same old story. I made it, so can you. If you work hard and have positive thoughts, what a load of manure. I, I I can't wait. I just got this email this morning. I haven't had a chance to to reply, but I can't wait to reply to this man. And my response to him will be something along the lines of what I'm about to say to you. You may not have a shelf of trophies or a life of obvious successes to other people, but if this man is as distraught about his situation as he is, my guess is someone who's really concerned about him. And there's someone who's worried about him. And if you're someone that's sitting there listening to this show going, well, you know what? I agree with what that guy said. That's lovely. Because I don't have anything good in my life either. If someone that loves you, is there someone that cares about you? If so, that right there is the first thing to write down on your gratitude list. Because that means that there is someone who spends his or her time worrying about you in the same way that your mother did. that this person may not even have family. They may not even have friends. So if you're sitting there, well, Dad, there's nobody who even cares about me enough to worry about me, then to that person I say, do you have legs that will walk and eyes that will see? And if you do, I want you to go outside and find a bench or a park or somewhere where you can sit and look at the world and find one thing that falls amongst your gaze that you can look at and go, whoa, that's kind of pretty. Hmm. And I want you to make that image something that tattoos into your brain so that you can go back and you can put yourself back in that park bench looking at that red bird on that branch and hearing that thing make that squawky noise it does when it's doing its little sounds so that you can go back there and go, for that one moment... I felt good. And that one moment can be the beginning of other moments. I know it's not easy. You're talking to a woman who stayed in her bathrobe for six weeks. So I know, I know exactly where that person is coming from because I had been there too, even though I had the stuff, because it's not about the stuff. It's not about the fancy house. It's not about the career. It's not about the picket fence.
1: But not everybody's not everybody's a high driver like you. Like I'm sure your sister Kathy is not the same as you. You're different wiring, right?
0: Um, and she's pretty. She's, we're all pretty Type A, I have right. to say. The normal women are all we're all cut out of the same piece of cloth. Huh? <laughs> um, I know where you wanted to go with that. I can't. I can't say that you you don't make much progress on that. But <laughs> okay. No, but no, not everybody hardwired. Not everybody's like that. And but but going out to the park bench and looking at the people is not something that requires. Type a, you know, boldface underscore right. personality.
1: Okay. Well, I, I, I'm i going to put this into practice in my life, and I'm, I'm serious. This is going to be a personal experiment. It's not just a book I'm flogging. I'm, I'm actually going to try to ramp this up a bit because the negativity, uh, it's easy for negativity to slip into your life, into your family, and next thing you know, you're just a pessimistic jerk. And I don't want to be like that, you know?
0: I suspect that you're not, but we all have our moments. And what I can tell you is since I've really been actively doing this, I I just got into this on a hunch. I wanted to see if there was any research that proved there was something to counting your blessings. But when I saw how dramatic the research was, I thought, you know what? I am going to put this. Like you, I was skeptical. I'm going to put this into practice and just see what happens. And uh, I think you'll be positively pleased with some of the side effects that you find you
1: experience I want you to let me know, okay? I will Uh, Deborah. thank you so much, Deborah Norville the anchor of the Inside Edition and so much more, a tremendous read here thank you power, making the science of gratitude work for you, happy Thanksgiving weekend from a Canadian anyway did you realize it was Thanksgiving weekend up here? how perfect
0: is this book then?
1: I'm telling you, this is brilliant and we got Johnny Lang singing thankful taking us out, so I I I appreciate it Deborah.
0: well I'm thankful for the time with you, take care you too.
1: Bye-bye. Deborah Norville. What a great gal, huh? Are you kidding me? Whew. Tremendous time. You can check her out online, of course, at dnorville.com. D-N-O-R-V-I-L-L-E dot com. She's got uh, a whole lot of stuff to check out. Or you can go to net. There'll be another one for you to get to. Thanksgiving weekend, the weather up here is tremendous. Michael McDonald, Johnny Lang taking us out. When we come back, our journey segment on the Drew Marshall Show. Just normal people with uh, real life stuff going on. Sometimes it's messy, but God always remains in the middle of it. We'll be right back. Like what you've heard? Listen again online at DrewMarshall.ca like